Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. These ten verses are some of the most piercing and freeing words of Jesus that, that we'll find in the Gospels. So for some context, we're actually going to start reading at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you O you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, Do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. So I I guess I should tell you why I chose to preach this passage this morning. We're in between series next week. Uh, We start Genesis again. I hope you'll be back for that as Drew is back up here. The reason that I chose it is because I knew I needed it. So I'm a fellow traveler here, you know. I'm not looking at you today going, it's, it's easy, just don't, right? Um, but I knew I needed to hear Jesus tell me again and again and again, Do not be anxious about your life. And my guess is that I'm not the only person in this room 
who needed to hear those words too. This year, 32% of adults reported symptoms of anxiety, sweaty palms, increased heart rate, stomach drop, trouble sleeping, inability to keep out unwanted thoughts. That's actually down from 39% in 2021, which is good. You might wonder what happened before 2021. I'll let you uh, make that conclusion. We have so many things in our world that make us anxious, right? Because in our modern world, individual choice is king. We just have choice after choice after choice thrown at us in a way that previous generations often did not. Download the DoorDash app. What do you want? You can scroll and scroll and scroll. Pick whatever you want. You're looking for an email app, right? Just type it in on your phone. You'll have choice after choice after choice. You go to the coffee shop. You want a coffee, right? What do you want? You have a cappuccino. You have a latte. You have flat white, long black, pour over French press. What do you want? Those are silly examples, right? But where do you want to go to college? You can go anywhere, right? Who do you want to... Mary, what job do you want to have? We have unprecedented choice in our world today, and the result is paralyzing. We are often completely crippled by our anxiety. These choices can make us go crazy. But the anxiety that Jesus has in mind in this passage is really connected to financial and material things. He's talking to his Disciples, He's telling them to forsake earthly, worldly, material treasure for a heavenly treasure. You can see in verse 19, Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth that can be destroyed, but lay up treasures in heaven where they can't be destroyed, they can't be taken, they can't be stolen. And then he says, No one can serve God and money. No one. You can't do both. Jesus calls his disciples to give up obsession over material or financial concerns for an eternal possession. We're called to give up the temporary for the eternal, the perishable for the imperishable. I want us to pause for a second and try to imagine ourselves on the Sermon on the Mount, which is really more of a sermon on the hill you're on that hill with Jesus, right? And you've just heard him speak these words that have captivated minds for, for millennia, right? And you're giving your head nods. You're giving your mmms, right? That's good. I like it. Okay. But then you start thinking, so if I'm not supposed to lay up treasures on earth, I get that, right? If I'm not supposed to do that, if I'm not supposed to live my life for these things, if I'm supposed to just reject the allure of riches, right, of stuff. What are you going to be tempted to? You're going to be tempted to worry, right? You're going to start asking yourself, okay, I get it, but who's going to pay the bills, right? Who's going to put dinner together? Jesus, have you seen grocery prices lately? Like milk, organic milk at Trader Joe's is like seven bucks, right? 
a single bedroom apartment is like half of my income. You might think, okay, that's, that's cute, Jesus. <laughs> but it seems really detached from my everyday life. You're being completely honest, right? Yes, we know that Jesus knows best. But if we're honest, it can feel like, do you really mean that? And, and we're going to be tempted to these things, right? How are my needs going to be met? That's what we would have been thinking about. And maybe you're thinking that right now, right? Sounds nice, preacher guy, right? But that, that's not how the real world works. But believe it or not, Jesus knows this. He knows us. He lived a real human life. That's the beauty of the incarnation, him coming to earth to be a human. He got hungry. He needed to sleep. He understands what it, have, what it means to have real physical needs. So he can tell us exactly what we need to hear about anxiety if we're going to obey him and his commands about money. So in this passage, there are really just two main commands. There's a negative command and a positive command. So he tells us to not be anxious, and then he tells us to seek the kingdom. So let's look at what it means to not be anxious. So Jesus' solution for anxiety is quite simple initially. It's go birding, right? Sit in a bed of flowers. But if you said that on a street corner, someone might think you're talking about like finding your inner peace, right? Or finding some, some zen, being quiet, kind of just finding the state of just relaxing, maybe connecting with nature. But Jesus isn't telling us to, to look at the birds or the flowers for those reasons. He's telling us to look at them because in them we can witness the absolute, incredible, sovereign care of a fatherly God. Birds and flowers don't stockpile resources. They don't plant food for themselves and hope for a return on investment. They just know their heavenly Father feeds them. The flowers don't strive to create clothing for themselves. They just know that God's going to send the rain, and he's going to send the sunshine, and it will happen. Psalm 104, 27 through 28 is speaking of created things, and it says this, These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up, When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. God's sovereignty is so far-reaching that it extends even to every single bird and flower and created thing. This is not merely metaphorical language here. From the number of hairs on your head to the food for the sparrow to the color of every single petal of every single flower, these are all determined by God's sovereign decree. There is absolutely nothing he is not ruler and king over. Here's the point. 
and we all know this, God takes care of the birds. He takes care of the lilies. And this is the key. They know he will. The birds, they work for their food. They fly around. They find it. They bring it back, right? The flowers, they don't work and they don't worry. Yet, our Heavenly Father feeds them. And brothers and sisters, you are of much more value. Jesus asked the question. The, the answer is obvious. You are. You are of much more value to God. There is an order to creation. Not everyone wants to believe this today, but it's true. There is an order to creation. It's written on our hearts. We know it. And if we are more important than nature, than these created things like birds and flowers and things like these, and he takes care of them, he's going to take care of us. That's, just what, that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. He's going to take care of us. I love Paul's words in Romans 8, 31, 32. Paul here is talking about not things, but our spiritual need. And he says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's a big sentence. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things. So I want to step away from the material needs for a second and think about salvation, right? Grace through faith in Christ. The rhetorical answer that Paul wants us to shout out is he will. He will. Everything that we need in our deepest need being salvation from sin through Christ's finished work on the cross. How will he not? Graciously with him. Give us all things. So I think at the heart of our anxiety problem is really unbelief, which is maybe not popular in in worldly counseling uh, circles today. But this is what Jesus is saying: when when we're anxious, we are beli- we're believing the lie of the serpent in the garden. Right? Did God really say? Will He really take care of me? Is he really a good father? Does he really know what I need? When we worry like this, we're choosing not to believe in God's good, sovereign care over every detail, right? We may think, God, I know know you've got me saved, right? I know I have grace through faith, but we, we may start to believe that he doesn't really care about every detail, right? Does God really care about my material needs? Jesus says, yes. And I'm not saying unbelief is what we choose to do, but it, it can become our functional belief, right? When we're like, I don't, I don't see you doing this, God. It becomes our functional belief that he's not a good father, that he doesn't care about our needs, that he won't feed us. So this is what anxiety is. It's functional unbelief. You know, just being honest, if we, if we completely believed God that God would give us every single material and spiritual 
thing that we need in the exact moment that we need it, we really wouldn't be anxious. We wouldn't feel this way that we do. We would just be completely chill, right? We'd be like the birds and the flowers. You look at the flowers, they're waving in the wind, they don't look stressed, right? (laughs) They just know. They just know. They're just waiting. They're waiting for God to do what they know that God is going to do. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's simple. The simple thing is that they trust their sovereign Father, their Creator. So Jesus doesn't just tell us to look at nature. He actually gives us three uh, kind of rational reasons. Okay, Three rational reasons. First, life he says, is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. So Jesus wants us to see that we don't need to be anxious for our material needs because life is about more than stuff. It's about more than food. It's about more than drink, clothing. It's about more than our everyday needs. Life is more than that, he wants us to see. We'll see in a minute that the good life, the life lived in submission to the king, is so much more than having a bunch of stuff. It's more than that, Jesus said. Not just there's more things, right, but in quality and worth and value. It's more than that. You know, Jesus says, right, if you want to gain your life, if you seek to lose your life, you'll what? You'll lose it, right? But if you seek to lose your life for my sake, for Jesus' sake, you'll find it. That's what this is all about. It's going to take denial, but the the reality about self-denial and falling after Jesus is you're going to find something so much better, so much more. You'll find your life. You'll find your life. So second, he also says, really practically, can it add to your lifespan? In other words, is it going to do anything? Now again, if we're honest, this might not feel very helpful at first. Right? Just, is it going to do anything? Is it any good for you? Most people will say, yeah, I'm aware, right? I don't want to be anxious. This isn't like what I'm trying to do. But Jesus, like, I know it's not doing me any good, but Jesus still takes the time to tell his disciples this. Will it do anything for you? He wants us to see that all the striving, all the self-preservation, it won't do us any good. One commentator wrote that worry is absurd. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's not practical. It's not rational, right? And this is a way that Jesus wants us to see. Don't be anxious. This isn't how he created us to live. Finally, Jesus says, don't worry Because the Gentiles seek after these things. In this context, Gentiles is not really a word for the nations. It's not being used as an ethnic term primarily. It's more about people who don't follow God. The people who don't have God as their father. People who don't follow God, unbelievers, right? Why do they seek after these material things? He said they do. Why? They're under the sovereign rule of God, but without the promise of protection and care 
and adoption and all these things. So they should strive. They should panic and work tirelessly with anxiety because who knows what will come tomorrow. If you don't have a good, sovereign, fatherly God who controls everything, what's going to come? I don't know. Right? If you're here this morning and that's you, that's scary. You know you haven't trusted in Christ's death and resurrection. You haven't received the forgiveness of your sins and the adoption of a heavenly father through faith in Jesus. I want to implore you this morning, and not just for this practical reason today, but for an eternal reason. Turn to Christ. It is good. It is so good to have a heavenly father who knows what you need and who promises that he will take care of your every single need. If not, life is, life is scary and it's going to continue to be scary. And I'm, I'm not saying you're going to become a Christian all your anxiety is going to go away. Of course not. But through Christ, you can have that, that hope that sense of peace. It's a resource available to you. Christians are not always the best at utilizing that resource, right? We can still be worried, we can still be anxious and worry, right? But it is, it is ours to take part in a peaceful life, free, and free of anxiety because of our Heavenly Father. If you are in Christ, you don't have to live this way, right? Jesus is talking to disciples who know God. You have the protection and care. He knows what you need. So you can be free from anxiety through trust in him. So now we get to Jesus' solution for anxiety. Up to this point, Jesus has kind of just said, don't be, do, don't be anxious. Stop. Because this, because this, and this. Don't, don't, just don't do it, right? But here... He gives us an antidote for anxiety. He gives us a one-step plan for killing anxiety. What are his instructions, or what is his instruction? Right? If you look on the internet, how do I stop being anxious? It'll never end, right? Reason after reason after reason after thing to do after thing to do. But Jesus gives one simple command, just one. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So what's the kingdom? How do I seek it? Throughout the Bible, the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place, under God's rule. And here, in the gospel, Jesus has already said that the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, is at hand. That's what he comes onto the scene preaching in Matthew 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's true. It's here because Jesus is the king of the kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom. Dan Doriani says, says this. He says, to seek the kingdom is chiefly to love and seek the king, to pray for his kingdom to come, to submit to his reign in every sphere of life, 
to declare his reign and gospel widely and to aim for his righteousness socially as well as personally and to seek it locally, nationally, and internationally. The kingship of Jesus is an all-of-life king. I think if you're living uh, in the first century under Caesar, right, you can't just go like, yeah, I'm going to uh, follow you and maybe some religious things, but I'm not going to pay taxes. Right? That's not how a kingdom works. A kingdom is an all-of-life thing. It includes everything, right? That's what kingship, uh, the kingship of Jesus is. It's not just a small corner of authority he has. The Bible says he, he's got authority over everything. Everything, right? All things, Ephesians tells us, have been placed under his feet. And he has been given as head over all things to the church. So if you are in Christ, he's not just the king, but he's our king. He's our king. But we're also called to seek his righteousness. So what, what does that mean? And I think Jesus is saying that seeking his righteousness is the means of seeking the king. Right? Jesus wants us to live a life in obedience and discipleship to him. This is what Jesus is doing throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount. He's giving kingdom instructions. How do I, how do I live as a citizen of Jesus' kingdom? That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. So right here, he's saying, this is how you seek the kingdom. You follow righteousness. You follow what Jesus says for us to live. So how could we possibly just not be anxious? Here's the answer. It's not easy. It's actually incredibly difficult. We live in a world that is screaming at us from every angle. Take care of yourself. Do what you want. Build your barns. Get the 401k up. Get the house. Right? Preserve yourself in your life at all costs. You'll have to look at those things. If you're going to follow Jesus in this, you'll have to look at those things, those advertisements, the social media posts, the news, and say, liar, you're wrong. Which is hard, right? Because we live in the midst of a world, but we're trying to follow in Jesus' kingdom. That's hard. It's not easy, but it is simple. That's why Jesus' solution to anxiety is really just one sentence. Seek the kingdom, and his righteousness first. It's a matter of priorities, what comes first. It doesn't mean that faithful and wise planning is wrong. Not at all. God's word instructs us to work hard. Paul says the man who doesn't work shouldn't eat. He worked incredibly hard in his ministry. He says so time and time again in the letters. The Proverbs instruct us in Proverbs 6, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, a sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. We should absolutely labor and work hard and wisely plan our our finances, 
for the glory of God and the good of our families and our neighborhoods and the nations. We can have worldly concerns and work to meet our earthly needs. But when we obsess over these things, when our priorities get all out of whack and those things become first, to the point of we're not seeking the king first, but we're seeking these things first, that's when it becomes a problem. When they become our end-all, be-all. When it's what we live for. Maybe you know the feeling of, of it's the first thing, and I, I do, I know this. It's the first thing you think about when you wake up, right? Is this, this thing, this earthly need. That's when it becomes a problem. That's when our priorities get shifted and we're not seeking the king first. Again, as I told you from the beginning, I'm a, I'm a fellow traveler in this. That's why we're in this text today. It's not easy, but it's simple. At least, at least we can have that, right? We know the instructions. Paul gives us such a great picture of what this can look like in his letter to the Philippians. Philippians 3, 7 through 14 But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And let me assure you that following Jesus' commands about money and anxiety and seeking first the kingdom may result and you sharing in his sufferings. Verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on, Toward the goal for the upward prize, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul shows us that seeking first the kingdom is going to require a narrow vision, right? Like I said, there's things here and things here and things here and things here telling us that we need to pay attention, right? That Jesus' way won't lead to our flourishing and our best life. We're going to have to have a narrow vision. Forgetting what lies behind, not straying to the left or to the right, we strain forward to what lies ahead. We press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And seeking him and and not the things of this world which make us so anxious, we actually find a better life. And this is where that, that issue of unbelief is going to play out, right? Do like, I know we can say that, but do we believe that? Do we believe that this is actually the better life? This is the better way of living. Jesus shows us it is. 
it is. Now, one of the difficult aspects of this passage is that it sounds like Jesus is saying, right, just follow me and everything will be fine, or even everything will be good. But throughout history, we can see faithful Christians seeking the king who, who go hungry, who go thirsty, who are without shelter. Maybe you've been there. Is God not giving me what I need because I'm not seeking the kingdom? What are we supposed to make of that? This can seem like an issue of interpretation for, for some people. I think two things, right? These words of Jesus are, are not meant to be taken as an absolute rule of life. And, and, and remember, he's talking to his disciples, right? He's not, he's not saying that our material possessions and our level of righteousness are completely linked. Right? That would be a prosperity gospel. If you completely live perfectly, you will have all this stuff. That's not what's happening. Okay. Remember, our Father knows what we need. And sometimes what we need is not what we want. And sometimes it's not even what we think we need. Right? Part of God adding all these things to us is going to require that trust that he actually knows. Even if it feels like it's not on track with what we should have, that he actually knows. Do you trust him with that? Also, the way of Jesus invites and even commands Christians to generously share with those in need, especially within the church. In the Christian community, there will be those with plenty, and there will be those who don't have that much. And one of the practical ways that all these things will be added to you should be through the generosity of Christians to whom God has given much. I know we've seen that up play out in our in our church in the past few years and that's a beautiful thing when christians when god's people are actually a means of all these things being added to you that's beautiful right so jesus's final words in this section kind of function as a conclusion he's told us not to be anxious generally but now he moves into that real specific right don't be anxious about Tomorrow. Brothers and sisters, tomorrow's coming. It's coming. And you may have things in your life, and if you don't right now, you probably will later, where that becomes a devastating reality that tomorrow's coming. You don't know how you're going to do tomorrow. Brothers and sisters, the reason we can be, be not anxious for tomorrow is that we have a good Father in heaven. And the way that we know this, beyond just the Bible says so, or I'm hoping so, is that that God sent his Son, Jesus, to our broken and anxious world. He sent his Son, Jesus, to die on the cross on our behalf. So if you wonder, do I really have a good Father in heaven? How can I know? On the cross, God's love was concretized. It became as visible and as clear as it ever has been in history, where God steps into our world and he gives us exactly what we need in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. 
So for those who believe that, we have no need to doubt that we have a God, a Father in heaven, who loves us, who cares for us. If he cares that much for our eternal state, how much does he care for things that are less than that? He's able to give us the grace that we need for today. And tomorrow, he'll give us what we need for tomorrow. And the next day, he'll give us what we need for the next day. And the next day until Jesus returns. So we praise him, and we work, we wisely plan, we do the best that we can, and we trust our Father in heaven, knowing that he will give us exactly what we need. Let's pray.